Welcome to the Ink to Film Podcast. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And we're going to do something a little different right now. We're going to do an adaptation news episode. This is something we're going to we're going to give a try. We'll see if we like it and uh, if you guys like it. Uh, basically, the format's going to be we're going to talk about some adaptation news. In particular, this week, we're going to talk about horror-related adaptation news. Then we're going to do a little storytelling. Uh, each of us have some uh, have at least one, maybe multiple ghost stories from when we were younger. Or I don't even know when yours was. Mine was when I was a kid. Uh, we're going to tell those to each other, talk about them, because we, we kind of got into a little bit of that in our episode on The Exorcist. We Yeah, we've done some similar stuff in the past, but this is going to be sort of more rigidly in a specific genre. And, and you know, I think we're going to continue to at least attempt if you know if we if people enjoy this or are interested in this attempt to do different genres based on sort of projects that we're covering potentially but or we might have more general ones in the future that are just kind of everything grab bag could exactly. be exactly yeah i mean in the in the idea is uh we're gonna put this out on the main feed um but if you want it earlier if you like this kind of thing it's going to be coming out on the patreon feed about basically a week earlier um, so if you want to have the like hot off the presses news as quick as it's happening as, as, as we're putting it out, uh, definitely check out our Patreon and we'll put that available to our $2 tier, which is where you also get our adaptation adjacent episodes, which we do, uh, pretty frequently. Um, there's a bunch of them on there now where we do like uh, sequels to adaptations and stuff like that. So definitely check out Patreon if you want to learn more about that. But, uh, if you're ready, man, let's get into the news. So I'm going to start it off with a Neil Gaiman bit of news that came out. This is on tour.com. This was Neil Gaiman sort of talking about this upcoming Sandman adaptation, which I know has been on our radar for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, it was greenlit. Casting was done. They started building sets and then COVID happened. So everything is currently on hold, um, waiting for basically just for television to production to really ramp back up and start back up i've heard some stuff maybe is happening but it seems like like major productions aren't really happening right now from what it's I've tough heard. yeah it's really hard because just you know the liability that's there for certain companies to green light shows and yeah. green light movies and stuff right now is really tough yeah good point so anyway um but some more information came out about it in this interview he did with uh, collider it looks like um this was after the Audible version of Sandman came out, which has all these stars. I don't know if you've seen the list I've of heard stars. About check this. it out if you haven't. Yeah, like I have. Star-studded it. adaptation. Really excited um, to like out. check that out because you yeah. know I've really wanted to to read the story for such a long time and seeing like it, yeah. it's kind of blowing up as an audiobook. Yeah, which is interesting because it's like a comic, right? Like I feel like right. visual is so important to it. So maybe yeah. maybe when we do cover it, which I'm thinking we will when this comes out, uh, maybe we'll be able to. Uh, do the audiobook in some form too just because i think it'd be fun right Uh, maybe do a mix of both i don't know anyway so the news that came out is that the first season is going to cover the events of preludes and nocturnes and the doll and the doll's house which i haven't read uh sandman so i actually don't know exactly what this is referring to but if you are a sandman fan you might know what this means um also he said that they're right in the middle of casting right now and he sort of like gently tried to let fans know that they're probably not going to have Michael Sheen as Lucifer um, because there's a lot of excitement about Michael Sheen just he was just in Good Omens right and he plays Lucifer on the Audible adaptation so a lot of people were hoping he was going to be in the show and Gaiman said that uh, he's one of the most difficult actors to get on the planet right now if you want to book Michael Sheen in something you have to do it years in advance 
Um, so uh, it's interesting because he's basically saying like, don't get your hopes up. He also didn't completely rule it out. He just right. said like, it's probably not going to happen. I mean, if I was going to get Michael Sheen on a show, I might build anticipation in this way as well. So we'll see. We'll see how it actually lands. But you know, you can't. Yeah. You you got to do what you can. And, and I think that was he was also kind of speaking about a lot of the casting in general. Like he right. said that um, the audio book is like a great starting off point and it's going to be something that they're going to be leaning into, but not to expect everybody who plays every role in the audio book to be true, which also sounds like he's kind of saying maybe some of them could be true, though. Yeah, you know, maybe. maybe maybe some of it. Mm hmm. So it seems like they're really trying to use this as also like kind of a marketing tool for it, like getting interest back up in Sandman. Um to me at least. And he even said that uh, they're also going to be looking at it as far as like some, they're thinking about making some plot changes and they want to see how the plot is working in the audiobook for people. And they're kind of looking at the reaction of that when they, and they're trying to make decisions about plot changes, also character changes, maybe changing the genders of some characters, things like that. It sounds really cool. I, I mean, I just, I'm excited. I can't, I can't wait to cover that story in some way. Yeah, he did say, um, if you are somebody who loves the original comics, you will love the Netflix series. And I think if you are somebody who knows the original comics, well, you have an absolute advantage plot wise in the Netflix series. But much like something like Game of Thrones, while you have an advantage, you will not always be one step ahead. Oh, he also revealed that uh, the comic is set in 1988, whereas the adaptation will be set in present day. Interesting. So there's going to be a change there, too. Mm hmm. At some point, we will be covering it, I'm sure. Yeah, I hope so, man. It, it's interesting because it looks like um, the first 10 episodes will cover about the first 16 comics. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know how much like content that is like when they're all put together. Because I only read graphic novels. I haven't been reading right. much like I comic mean, by comic. I don't know. It, it really varies, but it's it's. I think it sounds sixteen sounds like a lot, but you know, if there's if there's anywhere from like fifteen to twenty pages per comic, then yeah. you know how quickly you can read a comic book page if you. Watchmen if you, was what like ten or twelve issues. Yeah, it ten issues. They were, those are pretty pretty dense issues. I would yeah. say too. Yeah, I don't know how that compares with Sandman. I'd be curious, but anyway, uh, yeah, I'm excited for this one for sure, man. Well, since we're covering The Exorcist and we're kind of trying to do horror stuff, um, yeah. we got to talk about Stephen King. And all of, course, of the adaptations, <laughs> the renaissance of all of the all of the King Assance and everything that's been happening with him for the last yeah. like, you know, 10 years or whatever. Um, yeah. We have three different adaptations that are worth noting right now. We have Darren Aronofsky, who is going to option. He has optioned and will be producing an adaptation of The Life of Chuck under his production company. Um, the this this story follows a middle-aged man Charles Krantz whose life is segmented into several supernatural chapter breaks. So interesting. Um, it's Not kind of Darren Aronofsky like has been known to sort of do like unorthodox movies in some ways. I'm sure you've seen some of his films, um, mm -hmm. but. I, you know, I think it's a cool jumping off point for a director like him. And, and whether you like his stuff or not, he, you know, I think he's an interesting voice. I like Black Swan. And uh, yeah. didn't he also do The Wrestler? I thought The Wrestler was really good. I think he did The Wrestler. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah. you're right on that. Um, but like Requiem, I'm sure you've seen. Have you seen that Requiem of a Dream? Oh, yeah. Requiem for a Dream. That's yeah. Aronofsky. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's him. Um, yeah, I like that. Now, it does say he's producing it in his like studio. So I, it sounds like it's not committed or it's not committed that he is going to direct. Right. Which is know. which yeah. is kind of the case with, you know, some of this stuff comes in and big names come in and they're producers a lot of time, um, yeah. which brings me into, you know, one of the the largest television producers right now. His name is Ryan Murphy. Are you familiar? He he uh, produced. I don't think so. Um, American Horror Story and Glee oh, okay, for a long yeah. time. So like he's 
absolutely massive writer on mm. that i believe as well um a lot of focus usually like when i say massive i mean like one of the most powerful producers right now like he can just like sort of point to something and say i want to do that and get it done um wow. and he along with netflix and blumhouse are optioning mr harrigan's phone which john lee hancock will adapt and direct john lee hancock has directed the alamo the blind side uh saving mr banks so he's done some pretty notable movies of, of late. You've probably seen The Blind Side or Saving Mr. Banks, right? Yeah, I did see The Blind Side. Mm-hmm. So um, pretty well-known director. Ryan Murphy tends to feature stories about LGBTQ-related characters and events and things like that, really. Um, that's kind of, he's a bastion of that. And he kind of uh, that's cool. makes sure to have those stories told. So, you know, maybe there's some, some of that going on in the story. Basically, the story follows a young boy who befriends an older billionaire who lives in his small town Maine neighborhood. And they bond over the man's first iPhone. But when the man dies, the boy discovers he's still able to communicate with his friend from beyond the grave by contacting the device that was buried with him. Interesting. So it must be a newer story from King if he's got iPhones and stuff in it. It's got to be, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Love love it. I I mean, we're we're King fans on this podcast. We've covered a bunch of his stuff. So, you know, it's always exciting to hear about more King adaptations. I do think more than just Stephen King needs to be adapted by Hollywood. Right. (laughs) There are other horror writers, um, which we'll get to a couple more here. I like to see things by Stephen King adapted, obviously. But at the same time, you know, plenty of other writers and and people should have their stuff adapted. But right now, you know how gangbusters all of his movies are doing and how popular it is for everybody. So uh, one more adaptation. It's going to be Rat which has been optioned by Ben Siller, who intends to direct, produce, and star in. Wow. Yeah. So it'll be a full-on Ben Stiller production. Uh, ben Stiller has directed some some comedies in, in sort of like your early to mid-2000s. Uh, he directed yeah. things like Tropic Thunder and mm. Zoolander, um, okay. The Cable Guy in like the 90s. So he's like... Cable he, Guy, underrated film. Yeah. I actually like that. Yeah, yeah I know. He, uh, he That was uh, one of his more early... Uh, directorial did not know he directed that that's funny i didn't really directed so many of these that's cool yeah so um yeah i mean it could be really cool it could be a chance you know i like to see actors who are like i just said he's known for directing a lot of comedy i'd like to see him Mm -hmm. you know branch out and do something different like this so i'm excited to see you know someone like jason bateman who who was like sort of seen as a comedic actor a comedic kind of person and he's directing and doing all this more serious work so it's always fun to see people make transitions like that yeah, sounds cool, man. I'm in. All right, I'm going to keep it moving. So we've got a bunch of Jinji Ito uh, stories that have been coming out. So a lot of it seems like it's just rumors. He mentioned certain things. Um, one of them I actually just saw right before we started recording. And because we were just talking about Stephen King, I'm going to mention in an interview, he recently said that he would love to do a manga adaptation of some Stephen King stuff. Like He's a big Stephen King fan, apparently. I mean, he that, wants that's to do cool. a manga adaptation. I think it'd be really cool. He didn't say a specific title that he wanted to do, but like the idea of Junji Ito doing a manga of Stephen I mean, King, I don't know. His, his art <laughs> is so iconic. It's so it's, like when you yeah. look at it, it's so amazing. Um, it's he, amazing. Anything he, he draws is going to be incredible. So, okay. That's so awesome. I, I'm going to talk about one that I don't really know how to feel about. Um, so Quibi greenlights Tomi based off the horror manga series. Uh, Quibi, I don't know. It sounds like maybe you know a little bit about it. Qu- Quibi is an app. I guess, that does mobile web series content. Um, Their mission statement is they're going to try and make like 10 minute or less episodes, Mm -hmm. specifically web content to be viewed on a mobile device if you want. So I guess it's not like widescreen. It can be viewed vertically or horizontally. Right. Um, They are the ones who have optioned this. Um, this. Apparently this app just came out in 2020 
and it's really they're spending like a billion dollars trying to do content for it. Um, this is one of the ones that's happening. And recently, uh, so the director is Alexandre Aja, who did uh, the movies High Tension. He also uh, was on the ones on the ten directors to watch list uh, recently for Variety. He uh, he directed The Hills Have Eyes, Mirrors, and Piranha 3D. Apparently, I don't know. Mm. I don't. I don't know if I saw any of those. Anyway, horror director. He's directing, and then they also got the writer David Leslie Johnson uh mccoldrick who wrote uh was one of the writers of aquaman and is writing the sequel to aquaman i guess and then he also wrote conjuring two and three and um was did 12 episodes of the walking dead so prolific writer right all of this comes together and you recently signed um adeline rudolph to be the star and for the uh, the title role of tomi and she was recently in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. She is a German-Korean actress. Um, so I have not seen The Chilling Adventures of, of, of Sabrina, but I am aware of it. Um, so she is going to be Tomi. Tomi is like uh, some sort of supernatural... I was reading the kind of description. I haven't read it. Um, supernatural woman spirit who like seduces people and then I think eats them. Right. I think, I, I think I'm, I'm a little bit familiar, so... Um, okay. I I think it's been adapted before, and that's. Manga fans... uh, I was also going to say there are nine adaptations yeah. of this um, the, uh, Japanese films that have been made. Right, and manga fans like Junji Ito, manga fans specifically, tend to really dislike a lot of these adaptations. So it's hard because he's very difficult to adapt. A lot of right. his work is bl- in black and white, and a lot of them mm-hmm. were not in black and white. Um, so right. you're dealing with you're dealing with a lot of that sort of thing. Yeah. So I don't know how to feel about this. We got a web series, new app. It sounds like they they're spending the money to get p- creatives involved in the, all of that kind of thing. But the idea of watching something vertically doesn't appeal to me personally. Yeah. Um, Agreed. You know, I don't want to be the the old man on the lawn saying like you know get off my lawn and all that. But like that just doesn't <laughs> yeah. feel like sort of the same. And I know people are watching stuff on their phones, but it's just, there's certain prestige that comes with like TV and movies and things like that. And like when you turn things vertical and like you watch it in your hand and stuff, it kind of changes it. That's not yeah. to say that you can't do that. You know, I'll be curious. I'll, I'll watch the first episode when it comes out. Hopefully it's like free to free to watch. I'd definitely check it out. I'm curious. Right. Yeah. I Again, I'll, I'll check it out. It's Junji Ito. And, and I hope that it's a better adaptation than when, what's come out before of the same. Mm-hmm. But basically, I, what, from what I understand, it's like a succubus. Um, yeah kind of like a succubus type creature that that um, can't it's very difficult to kill and maybe comes back even more powerful if, if you attempt to kill it and uh yeah gotcha. i mean junji ito so you know it's terrifying <laughs> i don't even i don't even have to like look at it to know it's terrifying something something junji ito related that i am very excited about is okay. something we probably have mentioned before but there's a four-part mini series for uzumaki coming out yes. on adult swim and this is going to be in black and white, and they're really attempting. Junji Ito, um, they he was really excited about the specific uh, director that came on board, known for some some really well well known uh, anime right now, and they got Colin Stetson, who was the composer of Ari Aster's Hereditary. So a lot of like big names are in this. They're keeping it black and white, like I said, to preserve the style and sort of the tone because it is important to his style. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I think that it's going to do justice. There's a trailer that you can watch on Adult Swim that I've watched multiple times now. Yeah. And like, I'm excited. And the release date, it's got unfortunately, that style, right? definitely. And um, unfortunately, the release date is sometime in 2020 mm. as a, and that yeah. was as of like, right as the p- pandemic was really yeah. kicking up. We're keeping so an we eye on that now. one. It could be potentially like if it fits 
how we have to do things for coverage, that could be something we tackle. It's just going to depend on some factors, but um, yeah, I, I would to. love to do some Ito on, on the podcast proper. That would be that would be cool. Yeah, I mean, everybody's seen the image of of the the girl who has like the sp- the eye and the spiral all the way back into her head. And yeah, fame. Yeah, probably his most famous image. Image. Or, or I would drawing. Prob- yeah, I, I would know. think so. Yeah, everybody's yeah, seen yeah. it. It's the spiral one. If, if you're if you're not sure which one it is, it's the spiral right. one. I'm excited for that one, for sure. Uh, all right, so more Ito, since we're in full Ito mode. Um, he is also, this is just another thing he talked about. But in an interview, he said that he has been talking with Hideo Kojima about possibly working on a horror game, which I guess, I was reading through this article, um, H- Kojima has said repeatedly that he has got ideas for horror, uh, a horror game that he wants to do. He wants it to be revolutionary. He said... Um, Here's an actual quote. Something that uses a revolutionary method to create terror that doesn't just make you pee your pants, but crap them. <laughs> I already have ideas in mind. That's so awesome. he's been he's been trying to come up with this horror game and apparently has been in some sort of talks with Junji Ito, which is amazing. Just thinking of those two coming together. I, I played PT. Um, I didn't beat it, but I played some of it and I've, I've seen a playthrough of it. Um, that's a really cool, like, it was like a Silent Hill Silent Hill game that came out, but it was like a demo and then it never, and nothing really ever came of it and it got deleted. I know a lot of people were upset about that. Um, yeah, so it's kind of now this like difficult to find game that exists. It's like cult following, yeah. Uh, yeah. Tons of stuff to say with this. Obviously, we just talked about Ito, like his style, everything that he brings mm-hmm. to horror was a big deal. Uh, Kojima is, you know, if, it were, if I was to make a list like you were talking about with f- filmmakers to watch, game developers to absolutely play everything they, they come out with kojima's right there so he was Mm. he was sort of known for metal gear and all this stuff and uh was working for konami and they but they sort of tried to box him in and ultimately like he wanted to make some some games that they weren't interested in and recently death stranding came out that was the first production from his company on its own fully produced by him and and his company and you're talking about revolutionary ways to create terror like this this I, you know, it's not going to be for everybody, but there's something to be said for like revolutionizing different types of gameplay and things like that. Yeah. And Death Stranding absolutely does that. Like that, it's a you'll never you haven't played a game like it. Um, and the way that the gameplay sort of matches the metaphor of it all and like the idea of connecting, connecting everyone and using rather than like using social medias and things like this to separate us to connect us. Uh, it's kind of the the whole deal with that game. And yeah. he's able to like through gameplay portray that, and and I just think like if if Kojima's making it, I'm playing it, and um, I, I the, the idea of this game potentially coming out and him revolutionizing horror again, like that that sounds incredible to me. Yeah, cool stuff. All right, so uh, there's been some trailers that have come out. Uh, one of them is a new new teaser for the New Mutants, which is a movie that has been famously delayed like a million times. Um, but this new teaser just came out for Comic Con. I gave it a watch recently. I thought it looked kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you haven't seen this new trailer. Do you want to give it a watch real quick and we can kind of react to it? Yeah, let's check it out. Okay, so we're going to check it out. Uh, go watch it if you want. Um, and we're going to come back and talk about it. Uh, so just a second will pass for you. All right, man. What's your reaction? So it's crazy to me that we live in a time where um, we're past sort of superhero movies being being what they what they needed to be, which was... Uh, or or what was seen as like the typical. I feel like we're going through the the same way that like there was the golden age, the silver age, all this stuff with comics. We're kind of going through that with the movies as well. Yeah. Um. And I I like the idea that we can go from like, you know, supervillains invading and like giant beams that are going to destroy the earth, uh, sort of stories, and we we've, we've got to the point where we can do a horror, X Men story. Um. Yeah. That being said, like you know, 
I feel like the X-Men films have been floundering for a long time now, uh, unfortunately, and and like the kind of fallen away from what X-Men are really about. I think this doesn't necessarily seem I, I think this seems like it could be a great superhero sort of horror story. It doesn't feel very X-Men to me, but like I like I, I like the new mutants and like the idea of introducing all these characters. I like that trailer gave me a lot more confidence than the last one I saw. And if this movie ever does come out, you know, I'll be I'll go in with open, you know, open expectations and, and hopefully hopefully I enjoy it. This was a trailer that made me go, oh, yeah, I kind of want to see this, you know, and I, I don't know what to think. I don't have a lot of these preconceived notions. I don't know who the new mutants are. Like, I never read the comics. You know what I mean? I assume they're new mutants. Um, so I don't know. I don't know a lot about it. I also know that this this has been a troubled production for this movie, but that happens sometimes um, And this trailer. I don't know. It looks pretty good. I, I, I'm curious enough to see it. Um, I don't go in with high hopes, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I I like the bonkers nature of it, right? Like we, they can trust audiences now to just go with it with any yeah, crazy stuff they're willing to I throw do out like there. that. Like, you know, you get a movie like Logan, which is very unusual for a you know. I, right. I like seeing comics um, trying something a little different. Comic book movies, I, I, right. I do co-sign on that. Okay, so there's another adaptation here that is um, kind of a weird one because it's actually an adaptation of a British TV series that I don't know if this really fits, but I wanted to talk about it because we've covered Gillian Flynn in the past. We covered uh, Sharp Objects on the podcast. Really enjoyed. That was a great uh, HBO series, um, which which made me excited. I've seen Gone Girl. We haven't covered Gone Girl, but I, I was also a fan of that movie. Um, so Gillian Flynn is doing an adaptation of a British TV series um, for Amazon called Utopia, and she is the screen the screenwriter for it. So this is not a book she's written. Um, so we probably aren't going to cover it, but I, I am kind of interested in it and kind of excited for it, and I thought it'd be fun to watch the trailer together and then we can kind of react to that one because uh, you said you hadn't seen it. Yeah, let's check it out. Okay, so we're going to check that out. We'll be right back. All right, what'd you think, man? This is one I've seen before. I mean, that that's a cool trailer. I, it definitely looks like, you know, I, I can't help but think when I see trailers like this, I'm like, damn, Prestige Television is is awesome because we're able to have yeah. these really cool, crazy stories. Yeah, it does feel like that, right? It feels like prestige drama. Right, is, is coming which out. which I guess is a point that I want to make with sort of uh, t- typically like if there's a British show and then Americans are adapting it, I kind of sort of feel like, oh, maybe they sh- we should just sort of release the, the British show in America yeah. and like have the source be... Uh, seen by everybody but there are times that they're able to put you know the big u.s budget into it and and sort of the marketing and and like try to spread it out to the world rain wilson john cusack right like you get some big stars in it right it's you know i don't think this is that case you know i think there are cases of that happening where they're like this british show is huge let's do it in america just to do it well and i'm excited to see what what gillian flynn does with it right like you know sharp objects and gone girl like i mean she's got some chops and and sharp objects was such a stylish interesting visual show that um there i feel like with gone girl and that like there's a certain style to gillian flynn things that i've been seeing and it feels like a little bit of that is on display here even though this feels different too like almost a little more sci-fi in some ways i don't know although very topical like with the pandemic and everything yeah that was crazy when we saw that uh yeah i mean you don't have fincher on on it like you did on gone girl and you don't have right. i can't remember the director or the showrunner for for or i guess gillian flynn was a showrunner right but there was the yeah. the director who was on a lot of the episodes that really brought i feel like the style of the the, the look but it seems like you're right like she she's able to collaborate with people that are able to like because like you said this looks like prestige television it looks really really well shot really stylized so 
it seems like it seems like the mixture of her writing with with you know collaborators that come she's been able to make some really great content yeah. so far jean-marc Vallée. that sounds right sounds like a name i wouldn't remember either unfortunately i should i should have <laughs> i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna say it man <laughs> Um, all right, uh, so one more quick news topic to talk about is a third trailer, but I'm actually going to recommend we don't watch it. Um, it is the okay. new trailer for Lovecraft Country, which is an adaptation we are excited about. We definitely want to cover coming out on HBO and Jordan Peele. It's it's it looks great. The trailer is amazing, but in my opinion, has some spoilers in it which right. I wasn't a big fan of. I was like, I didn't need to see this to be excited for this show. And now this scene is going to be a little bit undercut by the fact that I've seen it in a trailer. Right. I saw the first trailer and I don't really know what the show is about. And I like that, you know, like yeah. I want to, I, I want to go in not knowing a lot. I'm glad that you told me not to watch it. Cause typically like I just, you know, I see, I see a trailer and if the first trailer is good enough to where I know I'm going to watch it, I don't like to watch another trailer typically. Yeah. Uh, but I fully believe you. I'm sure it looks great and I can't wait to cover it or watch it in some way. Yeah, we will. Um, if you are unlike us and you are curious about trailers, do check it out. I think it's a good trailer. I think it was a great trailer, actually. Um, but if you're like us and you also uh, know you're going to watch it and you don't want to be spoiled, then maybe don't. All right, man, we've gone along on this adaptation news. That's something we've learned. Maybe it's going to take a little bit longer than we thought. But I want to save a little bit of time here at the end to talk about uh, our ghost stories um, from our past uh do you want to go first or do you want me to go first uh well i have i have a short one that's kind of weird and vague so i'll start with that and then you can give your your full one and i'll give my full one okay okay so i don't know if this is like you know i talked in the episode about how i was raised in a religious household and i don't know if this is like some sort of like traumatic baggage or something but i can remember growing up and this was something that like came back to me this was something that i'd forgotten about that came back to me but i used to have like these vivid almost like sleep paralysis like like nightmares like waking nightmares where mm -hmm. i would see like i had like a popcorn ceiling in my childhood bedroom and i would i would wake up in the middle of the night be kind of shocked awake in the middle of the night and i would i would like look around my room be kind of terrified because i was in the dark and i was a kid and you, that's how that goes and i would see the the popcorn ceiling the illusion of it almost moving and it would almost look like it was shaking sometimes and I, I think that I rationalized it in my child head mind as like some sort of like demon or devil like waking moment thing that, that was happening to me. And, um, you know, like you, we talked about in the episode, like maybe it has something to do with, uh, you know, what your brain, the tricks your brain will play on you and things like that. But it was very interesting that I went specifically, I had like, I kind of thought of it as like, oh, it's one of these demon, demon moments again or whatever. Like it was like kind of a <laughs> recurring thing. Uh-huh. Could so, be night terrors. I mean, that night terrors right. often you feel paralyzed and you see stuff, you know, and you're like half asleep. Right. Um, and so what's weird like is that night terror to me. What's weird is that I I kind of forgot that it was a, like a not I wouldn't say a normal occurrence, but something that happened to me multiple multiple times, and then it came back to me eventually. Cool. Yeah, uh, I, I have some stuff like that too, uh, but you know, I think most of them are probably just dreams. <laughs> is my assumption. Uh, all right, so my story uh, is an is is an interesting one to me because it's. Uh, corroborated by two other people back in the mid 1990s mm -hmm. uh, 25 years plus now i'm not we're not sure i actually talked to um my brothers and my sister about it trying to get as many details as i could about this um we were on a family trip to savannah georgia and we, that is i'm gonna just say that that's gonna come back to play a part that's crazy that that yeah my story might have happened in savannah as well 
that is funny. Um, we were on a, we were on a family trip there. We were with some of our aunts on my mom's side and we had stopped at a restaurant. I don't remember if it was for lunch or for dinner, but the, and, and there's some discussion about what restaurant it was. Um, I've heard Piccadilly's, I've heard Perkins and maybe like a third sort of like unique to Savannah restaurant. I think it was a chain. I'm leaning toward Piccadilly's, which I was looking at. I haven't eaten at it many times, but it's like a cafeteria style restaurant, which I, I do kind of remember it being like that. Okay. Anyway, we were at a restaurant and my brother, me and my younger brother, my older brother, my me and my younger brother all went to go to the bathroom. We all went together because it was like, oh, you guys are kids. No adults going with you. So you guys all go together. Mm -hmm. My brother was, is older than me. He's probably probably like 11 or 12 at the time is our best guess. Um, and it's kind of his job to like watch us. Um, so we went to the restrooms. The restrooms were weird because we went, we had to go down a incline, um, mm -hmm. which was unusual for a restaurant like this. And you go down and there's like a little tunnel and you go into this little tunnel and there's like, I think restaurants are uh, restrooms on either side, if I'm remembering it correctly. And you go into the restroom. We went in, nobody else was in there. And, uh, we went to use the stalls and we saw immediately blood. My brother said, there's blood in the air. And I don't remember there being blood in my stall. I think I used the bathroom in my stall without without there being anything. But I do remember seeing the blood that he mentioned. And then we walked over to wash our hands, and there was blood all over the sink and blood on the mirror. And all three of us, Steve, me, and Ben, all saw this. And I remember we didn't wash our hands because it was like, that's the sink. I don't want to get close to that. And so we said, we need to go tell somebody. So we all left the bathroom and um, were freaked out. You know, it was like a lot of blood. And we were like, what is going on here? It's definitely bright red. Um, I remember it being not not like movie blood, very different, mm -hmm. like real real world blood. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like like thick and kind of uh, candy colored like you see. Right. It was like uh, watery. A lot. Yeah, yeah, it was more watery, but and like dried in some spots, but not dried in others. It looked pretty fresh. Mm -hmm. um, now, was it like a spatter or was it like a, what, what would you describe it as? Was it like a spray? Or? It was like, I just remember it like on the lip of the sink. Um, all around it, and then some was on the on the mirror in front of us. But no, like handprints um, or any smudges or anything. No like handprints. I don't remember if there were any smudges. It, it, I was very young, and I feel like I looked at it, and it was like freaking me out, and it was gross, and I didn't want to keep looking at it. So I, right. I, it's just like a brief look. Right. Um, and then I think Steve literally like pulled us out of there. Like we, you know, we got to get out of here. So we went back to the table, and this is one of my strongest memories: is telling the aunts and my mother that this was happening. And them saying, someone cut themselves, keep your voice down, like, don't make a scene, because we were, like, making a scene. And they're like, don't make a scene, sit down, keep quiet. They were, like, in the middle of a conversation, sitting around food, you know what I mean? So they don't want to hear about blood. They're like, mm -hmm. stop it, stop it, it wasn't a big deal, someone cut themselves. And we were basically scolded for the whole story. Like, don't talk about it, you know, be quiet. And we were like, I remember being really, really frustrated because I was like, someone needs to go look at it. But like no one did. I don't think we were with any men at the time. So I don't think anyone could like go check the men's room. And they didn't tell the waiter or anybody because it was very much like a don't make a splash, don't make a scene kind of thing situation. Mm -hmm. So nobody went and checked on it as far as we know. Um, and then later, I don't know if it was that night. It might have been the next day. We were on a ghost tour, um, which I think was a horse drawn carriage. Mm -hmm. uh, in Savannah, because that was one of the things we went there to do. They do these ghost tours that you can right. sign up for. And I was really mm -hmm. into ghosts at the time, so I thought this was cool. And we were going around, and we stopped in front of that very restaurant, and the person at the ghost store told a story that it was previously, um, I think, home to slave owners who, who kept slaves in the basement. 
and that there is reports that you can still like that there's no locks on the bathroom stall doors, that there's still um, uh, supernatural activity being reported in specifically in the bathrooms of this restaurant. And that, um, and I actually do remember there being no locks. That was something that when they said that, I was like, they're right. There was no lock on the door. And I thought it was weird. Um, and then I don't remember my, one of my brothers says they think that they said specifically that there was blood on the walls has been reported. Um, I don't know if that's something that was actually said on that or if we, cause we then told our story when we heard this on the thing, we're mm-hmm. like, Oh shit, this just happened. And my mom told the story and then, um, they said that they're going to start telling that on the ghost tour. So maybe if you hear a story about uh, blood in a bathroom uh, on a ghost tour in Savannah, maybe it, maybe it has uh, ties all the way back to what happened to me in the mid-90s. I uh, love it. I haven't yeah. heard that story before. That's wild. You haven't? No. So it's a pretty wild story. And like I've been trying to think, like I'm a very rational person. I'm like, what actually happened? And I'm like, right, most I was going to ask you that. Someone cut themselves maybe, but it kind of felt like too much blood, which makes mm-hmm. me worried that we were actually witnesses to a crime scene. Um, like someone got attacked in the bathroom and yeah. there was enough blood to where it was significant. Um, but the only thing is weird about that is like, I don't remember like, cause someone else would have seen it, right? Like at some right. point. And yeah. I would think there would be more of a stink, but there is also a possibility it's mid nineties. Maybe they were like, don't make a scene. We got, we got customers in here and maybe it was kind of handled quietly. Everybody felt the same way as you guys. And then the, the myth continues, you know? Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah. It's a weird story because like, if it was just me, I would probably have talked myself out of it and convinced myself that it didn't happen. Right. But the fact that uh, my younger brother and my older brother, all we all saw it. We all saw the blood is what tells yeah. me that, like something happened and something weird and like unexplainable, it, unexplainable. Probably we just witnessed some blood for some reason. Maybe the amount of blood grew in our minds over time because we definitely told this story repeatedly after the fact. That's definitely possible. I don't know what to think of it, but um, as much as I was shitting on all the supernatural stuff, I figured... You know, I got a story. I might as well tell it. it was, you know, maybe yeah. maybe you want to believe that it was Gus. Maybe it was. I don't know. All right. Uh, so just due to proximity and like the number of times that I've, I I really enjoy Savannah. Actually, your bachelor party was in Savannah. Was in Georgia. Savannah. Yeah, we had a great time. I just Savannah. I don't you know, I, I really enjoy the city. There's atrocities that have happened there before. There are absolutely full on war crimes like yeah. uh, the the worst things that can possibly happen genocide everything. known as one of the most quote-unquote haunted that's what uh, i was leading places to, yeah. in all of america right that's what i was leading to is it, it's almost like a tourist attraction at this point for it to be one of the most haunted it is the most haunted city in yeah, america absolutely is it that's um, a big tourist thing for them for sure right and so oh that's I another like, option sorry just real quick go ahead someone might have been trying to drum up some sort of weird interest i don't know why they would do this but like to fuck with some people and like if they like have a deal with the ghost company or something to like tell stories about it. Maybe get people right. to come eat at the restaurant. I don't know. There could have been something weird like that happening. It's that's our guerrilla marketing. They yeah. Come around trying to scare kids with fake blood. It on seems walls. extreme, but yeah. who knows? So, uh, yeah, uh, my story also takes place in Savannah. We had done a ghost tour and you know, that is a heightened, you, that, if you, if you even like allow yourself to believe it at all, if you're yeah. in those moments and you think about, and the, th- the thing is like, like whether or not the ghosts are there or anything, the ghosts of the past are there. You know what I mean? These things For did sure. happen in these areas and yeah. like horrible things. Um, giant, I think it's like the largest burial, like, like unmarked burial ground of all time is there as well. Mm. All kinds of madness. Um, uh, and like how old were, how old were we talking here for your story? I was, this is not that long ago. This is like okay. f- four years ago or so, five years ago. Okay. Maybe. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, and, and you know, this one's not very concrete and I was alone, so there's not a ton to it, but I just figured I would tell the story. This is the most okay. recent sort of like th- 
thing that, that really freaked me out. So we go on the tour. You're hearing about all this like murdering and just torturing and slaves and, and all this stuff like people even like war, like in, like people being injured in war and like like amputations, all kinds of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you go on these tours, you go through these. We were on a trolley and then we would get off at each location, go in and come out that night. Uh, I fell asleep pretty easily. Wasn't really thinking anything of it. That sort of stuff doesn't usually stick with me like this. But then in a similar way to, to what I was talking about with my other story, I was shocked awake. Like, like it felt like I was shoved awake. And, you know, that could have just be a, a dream kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it felt like I was shoved awake. The, the hotel room that we were staying in was very dark. Um, and I immediately turned the, my cell phone light on and I started looking around the room. I turned the lights on um, and it freaked me out. Definitely. I felt, I, you know, I felt like I was shocked awake more than I had been in a long time. And I was like, you know who who knows what that was and like you know that's scary and i took a couple minutes and i actually like had the i put the lights on in the hotel room and my girlfriend wakes up and she's like and she's like what are you doing and i was like no nothing just just uh looking at looking around and then like turned it back off went back to sleep and then a few hours later was shocked back awake again Mm -hmm. um and then couldn't really sleep very well for the rest of the night and just kind of just laid in the bed in in the dark and and uh yeah, you know, I I think it was in and out of sleep, but it was it was a crazy night, and I was like, you know, was it just my mind playing tricks on me? Was I all freaked out from the ghost tour? Which wasn't when I was there. Not I wasn't scared. You know what I mean? I wasn't like, right. oh God, there's there's something over there. It was more of me just kind of being like, oh, interesting. Like these, you mm-hmm. know, these are horrific things that have happened here, and mm-hmm. and then that night, really be, being shocked awake twice was was uh, I don't know felt felt very like supernatural to me obviously at the time <laughs> that's funny so that is actually something that happens to me pretty frequently <laughs> yeah uh, my, my wife would tell you that uh every probably like once a week or or maybe or maybe maybe a little less frequent than that but like every so often i will wake up in the middle of the night totally freaked out sometimes i'll turn my phone on turn my light on and like shine in the corner because i think i'll see something that happens right. to me a lot um if it's supernatural then i'm being haunted man um, right. i assume it is not um also i was going to say particular hotel rooms it will happen mm-hmm. to me more frequently in hotel rooms. I think right. unusual places because um, you wake up and you're not like quite sure where you are and it can mm-hmm. freak you out big time. Oh, um, the other I, thing is like I'm a very light sleeper too. So it's like yeah. I, I typically you like... hear noises. Hotels are I, all kinds of weird noises. What, and when I wake up, typically like I, I'm not like shocked awake. I would say that's very rare for me. But yeah, mm-hmm. hotels are a little different. Right. Uh, anyway, I mean, it's still interesting. I mean, this goes to show why supernatural stories and stories of paranormal activity are so difficult to like pin down in any sort of way. Because like, if you want to believe that that was something paranormal, like no one can tell you it wasn't. But then like, there are a lot of possible explanations for either of these stories or any of these stories. Um, but it is fun, right? It's fun to, to look at these, and, and and I figured since we talked about it on the on the main podcast, this would be a time in which we can explore some of that. Um, we're gonna wrap this up now. Uh, before we go, do we want to do any sort of quick touching? Do you have any recommendations for people? Anything you've been checking out? Uh, I mean, I've recently mentioned on our Exorcist episode that I was playing The Last of Us Two and had finished yep. it. I mean, incredible. Same. I haven't finished it yet, but right. I really enjoyed it, or am enjoying it. I've been playing Ghost of Tsushima since then, and oh, cool. uh, it's amazing. So just like, uh, you know, I, th- I've been really happy with the games that have been coming out of late, obviously, with everything going on to have this wealth of like stories and everything going on that are necessarily you know, books or movies or anything like that. I love video games for the medium that they are as well. Um, a, n- a massive one for me right now. Uh, I watched Hamilton on the 4th of July, oh, nice. and uh, it's stuck with me. I'm singing it every day. 
uh it's <laughs> it's incredible and i highly recommend everyone check it out and i know that i'm extremely late to it and people went to see it and everything like that people have been saying it's amazing forever i listened to the album forever ago like you know i listened to it when it when it came out but seeing it and watching it it's just like a totally different experience and it's just a work of it's a work of genius and it's it's amazing love lin-manuel miranda too cool yeah totally um, so for me, I, uh, Last of Us 2, haven't, haven't beat it yet, excited to get to it. Watched a couple 80s films recently with my wife. We watched The Money Pit and Back to the Future. Money mm-hmm. Pit doesn't really hold up. I had never seen it before. It was fun. I can see why people reference it whenever you buy some, if you buy a new property, you're going to reference The Money Pit as soon as something breaks. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, so yeah. I get the references to it. Um, she had never seen Back to the Future though, which I found out while watching that. And uh, we decided we we're going to watch that one. We watched it last night, and that one's a lot of fun. I think it holds up a lot better. Um, not a perfect movie, as, although some people say it is. Um, I really, really do like it. Um, and I've been watching some Rick and Morty recently. And it was fun to see all the like, connections between Rick and Morty and, and Back to the Future, uh, which I think is cool. I'm really happy um, you're watching Rick and Morty because it's just it's just so yeah. much fun. One other recommendation, I don't know if you've seen this yet, uh, I watched all of the Unsolved Mysteries series on Netflix, and I thought it was really well made, really interesting stuff. It was kind of a binge watch for me, because I was really into it. Um, cool. De- fascinating, fascinating true crime type stuff. Definitely check that out if, if you're interested in that sort of thing. I haven't seen any of that. I'll have to check that yeah, out. You should check it out. I think yeah. I think uh, Caitlin would really like it, too. Yeah. Um, also, we've been playing, uh, D- playing D&D. I've been running a game for a small group, uh, You're you among them. Um, mm-hmm. having a lot of fun with that. I, I am a long time D and D player. It's been really cool to get back into it. I've been doing some tabletop gaming with some other friends up here in Portland. Um, but specifically playing some D and D has been, has been really fun. Specifically rem- remotely as well. It's not yeah, anything we're doing in it over, over on roll 20, uh, you know, website. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, I, I dabbled and knew some of the D and D sort of scenarios and things like I hadn't, I didn't have a huge group of friends to play with or anything like that, but um, to get to play it and be so sort of in, in, involved in it now is a lot of fun. And I kind of regret, you know, in the times of my life when I had less responsibility, not, you know, playing it a lot more with with people. Um, it's it's just a lot of fun. It's a, it's fun to role play. It's fun to like be a storyteller. It's fun to it's just yeah. it exercises so many fun muscles and and the sense of community that's there for especially right now. It's fun to, to get to yeah. talk to people at least, you know. I could do a whole episode talking about my love of D&D, why I like it, why it's a good creative outlet for me in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. But I do have one more thing I wanted to mention, and it's very okay. like filmmakery, but I wanted to I wanted to recommend it to you and anybody who's very into sort of like filmmaking and stuff like that. There's a there's a documentary that came out called The Ghost of Peter Sellers that I watched recently. Um, and it's basically about, uh, you know, Peter Sellers obviously um, was in Dr. Strangelove. Oh, OK. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, so gotcha. he. Uh, he was, you know, the biggest comedian of the time there. He was collaborating with a director named Peter Medic. He was a Hungarian born filmmaker who came to England after harrowing early years during which he and his family were tormented by Nazis and Russians. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I wanted to give you the synopsis real quick because I want to do it justice. In 1973, Peter Sellers, one of the biggest comedy actors at the time, embarked on a pirate comedy for Columbia Pictures. He lost confidence with the film immediately and tried to sabotage it firing the producers before turning on his friend and the film's young director, Peter Medic. Despite an illustrious career and the passing of 43 years since the unraveling of the production, Medic is still reeling from the disastrous experience and healing from the wounds inflicted by Peter Sellers and the film's failure. So he was an up-and-coming filmmaker. They were going out to film a pirate 
comedy, which was on an actual boat, which we know from Jaws and many other things is like the hardest thing to do. Very difficult. It was yeah. 19, 1973. And then his star, Peter Sellers, the largest, the biggest comedian in the world, uh, who was dif- difficult to work with, started sabotaging it. And then after it was, it was basically completed, um, there was like a period of like four years where it basically was like not going to come out. Um, and it's just this idea of like perseverance and and what it's like to you know disagree with someone and and what it you know what what really matters and that sort of stuff and it's just an amazing documentary about filmmaking about friendship about all this stuff and i highly recommend it. it's very very uh, interesting watch cool all right we're gonna leave it here uh in the future we're gonna try and keep this a little shorter maybe went a little long this week um or this time um but we did want to say once again, um, we would love for you to come over and join us on Patreon. Um, it's a great way to support our podcast, and th- it would be a way to get these kind of episodes um, in the future, get them a week early, um, get them when the, the news is freshest. Um, so if you've been waiting for a reason to go over to our Patreon and check it out, hopefully this can be one for you. All right. We will be back later this week with more regular content. We hope you enjoyed this. And until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>